I actually was handed the Lombardi Trophy after they won the Super Bowl. As a beat writer, you're not a fan of the team, but you do become invested in people's journeys. Seeing what it looked like before they were quite there and then seeing everything that went into as a journalist, as a writer, as a storyteller, it's just, it's why, it's why you do it. You, you hope for opportunities like this. You're listening to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I'm your host, Tatum Everett, alongside Gabe Henderson, Jay Nelson, enjoying some much deserved time off. Either way, we have a jam packed podcast for you today, opening up the mailbags for it might be the first time, Gabe. First time ever. Well, that's exciting. We're going to answer some of your fan questions where. You know, we had a lot of options from pick six, and we didn't get to every single question, obviously, in the show, but a lot of questions and a lot of really good ones this week. So we're going to answer those in just a bit. But we also have a very special guest this week, award-winning journalist Jordan Rodrigue, who is currently the Rams beat writer for The Athletic. Obviously, she just followed the Rams in that Super Bowl run, and she's got some good insight into several of the new Vikings coaches. Like, that is the pinnacle of what we do, right? I mean, of course, it's the pinnacle of what players do and coaches to get to the Super Bowl. But to be able to cover a team that actually made it to the Super Bowl and won it, um, I saw a picture on her Twitter of her, like, hoisting the Lombardi trophy. I'm like, dude, this is, like, the pinnacle. To have a moment, of course, we have to be professional in everything that we do. But those 10 seconds, you can tell she enjoyed those 10 seconds of, oh, shoot, this actually happened. So... I'm excited to talk to her with you. Yeah, I mean, that's like the first question I want to ask her. It's just like as a kid growing up loving football, like what's it like to cover a team like that? Because even think of all the all the storylines that happened for the Rams all season long as far as like Matthew Stafford getting there. A lot of the big free agent, even mid-season signings yeah. that they had and building this like super team. You know, she had something unique, you know, these big names that she'll remember covering for the rest of her life. So yeah, I'm excited to get into that as well as hearing her insight on Vikings new head coach Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator Wes Phillips, and quarterbacks coach Chris O'Hara. So that should be really fun. But you know, it's post combine and you were just there, crazy time, but then all of the real action this week is almost like trumping that because you've got major quarterback roulette going on. All, all the combine was for a lot of these teams that made these blockbuster deals where, all right, how good is this quarterback class right now? How do they talk? Will they fit this team? And what is their personality like? Maybe some guys didn't fit, but even with some of these teams that are making some big moves like the Commanders and the Broncos, I still think, well, the Commanders being that I worked there a few years ago, I still think they draft a quarterback in this class. Maybe not in the first round, but... This has been an interesting week, to say the least. Yeah. Which is the most surprising for you so far? Uh, Carson Wentz. Um, Just being that (laughs) I saw somebody tweet, is Carson Wentz the most traded quarterback in NFL history? (laughs) (laughs) And it looks like it, right? Because the Eagles traded up to get him in the draft, and then they traded him to Indy a few years later, and then Indy just traded him to Washington, and he's got a big deal. And if it doesn't work out in Washington, I can see them trading him again. So the fact that he played for the Eagles, he played against Washington um, twice a year for his first three or four seasons, like it's like okay, well he's he's actually going there now, and mm-hmm. we we knew they were looking for a quarterback, and they didn't land the the Russell Wilson that they wanted to. The Jimmy G's of the world had shoulder surgery, so the fact that Carson Wentz, this was the last name I was expecting to get yeah. traded, traded there at least. So I'm like, okay, how does he fit? All Washington needs right now is a good game manager, and I think he fits the mold. It's interesting that the Colts are really moving on from this. It obviously didn't work out for them, but this is their fifth 
different. Yeah. He was their fifth different quarterback in five seasons, and so they're going to take their chances. I know a lot of the rumors are that it's Jimmy G headed yeah. to Indy, and so that that's all really interesting. But um, I was always kind of curious watching this Russell Wilson deal because I know for a long time he has been vocal, or at least last couple of seasons, that he doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, And to... You know, once Rodgers signed with the Packers, the Broncos needed to make their move. And, and that's who they obviously targeted. And it's, it's a big trade. That's a big trade. But still, the, the Seahawks, I, I think the Seahawks won that trade. The fact that they got two first rounders, two second rounders that people aren't talking about. And then another, I think, in the fourth round. Like they tr- remember they traded their two first rounders uh, to the New York Jets for Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they got that back. That's true. It's like, OK, cool. But. The, the two second rounders is what surprised me because you can find so much talent in the second round. It's like, oh, shoot. Like, Especially in this draft. Right. I mean, they could they could find a quarterback and then have Drew Locke just throw uh, go routes to D- DK Metcalf every play, but still have a, a quarterback in the waiting trying to figure the pieces of the puzzle out. So I, I honestly think that the Seahawks won that trade. The Broncos got what they got. They wanted a quarterback and they got um, a pick also. So. We'll, we'll see how that plays out, but still, the Broncos are still in the, arguably the best division in football. Like everybody's talking about the Chiefs, the Raiders, who just made the playoffs, and then the Chargers with with Justin Herbert. So, like, yeah, he it's a great move, but he's still going to an even tougher division. NFC West, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's kind of used to that, right. isn't he? Exactly. Well, and I think I, you know, I wonder how much that played into Rodgers wanting to re-sign with the Packers because. The NFC's quarterbacks compared to the AFC quarterbacks, mm. it's it's light years better in the AFC. There are so many young, tough, yeah. talented quarterbacks in the AFC. And the NFC is almost like free for the taking. And you, you see Rodgers kind of maybe eyeing that. I mean, that was a lot of the conversation this offseason for sure. Yeah, and I guess what's next is Jimmy G getting traded to Indianapolis and then Tom Brady going back home to the San Francisco 49ers. He's from California. He's from San Fran. He just retired, Gabe. <laughs> Did you listen to his last <laughs> You listened to his last interview where he was like, you know. He can't I, hang it up, Kenny. He counted his weeks. He said, you know, I've always wanted to spend time with the family, and now that I'm five weeks in spending time with the family, I have now had time to reassess. I'm like, dude, you counted the days that you spent time with your family? Okay, he's coming back. So it, it, it has been an interesting offseason, to say the least. That is definitely <laughs> a funny point, though. Yeah, I, anything goes at this point. It really does. And and speaking of that, we took your fan questions this week, and we kind of we let you guys take control of the mailbag. And Gabe tweeted it out, and I was just shocked within a matter of hours you had so many good questions you either slack me or text me it was like hey you got some good questions let me know what you want to pick and i had not checked my mentions <laughs> before that so i opened my phone i was like oh shoot so the fact that fans are i mean we, we knew fans would be in tune this time of the year there's no football going on yeah. it's all speculation but the reactions especially with these tweets i'm, I'm excited to get into it definitely so we're going to switch things up and open up that fan mailbag And um, Gabe, I think we're going to start with, let's do question one. All right. This is from G. Simple. (laughs) How can a team projected to be in the red and handcuffed by several very expensive contracts compete in free agency? Well, I think the easiest question is to restructure a lot of salaries. And a lot of (laughs) a lot of people say, you know, when it comes to extending guys or pushing contracts down the road, it's like, kicking a trash can down the road because eventually you're going to have to address it. putting off your problems. (laughs) But unlike trash cans and players, trash cans don't age or, you know, depreciate like players do when they get older. So there's still opportunities to push things down the road. But still, when the NFL just announced its new salary cap for 2022, 
NFL teams are getting twenty five more million dollars, which means the which means the the Vikings, as we speak today, Thursday, March tenth at eleven forty five a.m., they're only fifteen minutes. I mean, fifteen million over the cap. So there is room to restructure and, and gain some cap space. I don't think just from talking to a lot of experts last week at the combine, I don't I don't think they'll be that aggressive in free agency versus the draft. But I think there there will be a lot of wiggle room when it comes to addressing some some free agents that that the Vikings need, especially on the defensive side of the ball this year. Rob Brzezinski has so much experience restructuring contracts and making this financial salary cap issue work for the Vikings year in and year out. I think he's a great tool and resource for new general manager Quasi Adolfo Mensa. And I think they have a lot, they will have a lot to choose from and a lot of tough decisions to make. But as you mentioned, there are several free agents and even guys on this team that signed bigger deals who are team guys. They're yeah. going to see the big picture and want to, to play a part. So, yeah, no, that's a that was a great answer. Um, I'm going to move on to Mateo Potato, 1490, <laughs> um, only because of the subject matter. He says, hope we continue to draft LSU players since the two best players on the team are both LSU <laughs> players. And Derek Stingley would look great in Vikings purple. Also, finally, to have a corner to play the ball, something we haven't had in so long. I know, talking with you, Gabe, you like the idea of drafting corner in the yeah. first round. So, do you think Stingley would be a good fit? I think he will be there if the Vikings want to select him. Um, I think I think it all depends on where what the Vikings look at mm-hmm. as what's the best player available versus what's not. When it comes to Stingley, I, I think he, he's primed for the NFL. Think about it. The past two to three years, he guarded Justin Jefferson every day in practice and Jamar Chase every day in practice. Look at what those two guys are doing in the NFL. If if you want to say somebody's NFL ready or played against NFL players in college, it's Derek Stingley Jr. Granted, he was hurt this past year. But if he's there, whoever drafts him is getting an NFL-ready player. Granted, he didn't work out at the combine. I think he's having like he, he has sir, yeah, it's a list Frank uh, yeah. injury. Um, for me, the concern is you're getting a guy. It's, it's it's a bit of a risk because you haven't seen him perform recently in the last two seasons. Yeah. He really hasn't played all that much. And granted, I mean, he was the best corner in college football in 2019. He's a great great in man coverage it's just you just don't know at this point where he stands but you you know you went to lsu anytime a guy gets the opportunity we're number seven like they used to be number, dbu exactly right? i so mean he, he, he had the he was blessed with the number seven going into last year and granted he got hurt so he's he's a baller like yeah. he can he can make plays and like i said he he's played against the alabamas the the jerry judy's and the every every single Jamison Williams, all, yeah. all the guys in, in that 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 will be in the NFL or that's already in the NFL right now. So I'll bring up one other point real fast. Uh, the assistant defensive backs coach, Durante Jones. Uh, well, Durante Jones was with Stingley last season at oh, LSU, but Roy Stingley Anderson. didn't play. But Roy Anderson yeah. was the um, lead defensive analyst for the 2019 National Championship run at LSU. So he oh, wow. knows Stingley as well. So not saying that we have some inside knowledge on that, but they they at least know what he's capable of. So you don't. You know, have as maybe as many question marks as you thought. But Durante Jones coached him last year too. Yeah, I don't think he played very often. I think he played in a couple of games last year before getting injured. So uh, that's um, good. I'm so not gonna I mean, lie to you. I didn't follow it as much as as much I mean, as but I that's did. A, I'm just thinking so. of like that's an off season. That's a full off season. Mm-hmm. That's a full spring game. That's a full. Yeah, he's been um, around him. He's been around him. That's mm-hmm. I mean, however many games he played last year, and Durante Jones has a, a great track record of developing young talent. He yes. did it with. 
Cameron Dantzler's rookie year, and then he had another rookie that that was coming on uh, towards the end of the year. So Durante Jones, whoever this young rookie cornerback is going to be, I'm sure he's going to be excited to, to be able to coach him. All right, we're going to get to the next question from Antoine Michelangelo. Being that we have many needs on the roster, if we drafted a QB prospect with first-round pick like a Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, would that be more indicative to you prepping for future seasons after Kirk Cousins or prepping for an immediate Kirk Cousins trade? Oh, that's a great question. I I think no matter what, you do draft a quarterback this year. Um, And I think simply because it's a quarterback-driven league, and when you have a quarterback-driven league, you want the best competition you can get at that position. If Kirk is still on this roster, I don't think a quarterback, a young quarterback in this draft class, this is just my opinion, a young quarterback in this draft class will beat Kirk out for for that uh, starting job week one. So with that said, do they come in and the Vikings force a trade? I, I personally don't think so, but I, I've seen crazier things happen in this league. I'm just thinking about Russell Wilson when he got drafted as a rookie. I think he was drafted in the second round and but they had a they had a, a quarterback that he had just extended. I'm trying to think of his name. Oh, Matt Flynn. Is that his Are name? Are you talking about the Seahawks? The Seahawks. Matt Flynn. And Russell Wilson basically beat him out. So I, we've seen crazier things happen like that, but I, I just can't see that happening in this situation. It's interesting because you have two quarterbacks in the roster right now, Kirk and Kellen Mond. You drafted Kellen Mond last year. Um, you know, we don't know what he's capable of, really. We've seen him in a very few snaps during the regular season and snaps that frankly weren't really mattering yeah. at that point. Um, so so that's a big question mark there. If you do go to the draft, it's not a very deep class. So do you take a quarterback in those earlier rounds, despite having several needs at other positions and knowing that you have Kirk, maybe if they extend him, if yeah. he's in there long term. Um, I mean, there are a lot of free agent QBs that could come in and be solid backups to Kirk or even give Kirk, you know, at least some competition. I wouldn't say they would start over him, but yeah. you know, you've got Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, apparently Mitch Trubisky, Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor. Like there, there are a number of free agents on this this roster. I mean, a number of free agents right now that could be a really good backup in the NFL. I'm just thinking of Taylor Heineke in Washington. Mm-hmm. They get rid of him, um, but. If Kirk is on this roster and he's extended, there there's no way there's a quarterback competition. You're you're clearly sure. making it known that Kirk is the quarterback of the future. Kevin O'Connell and Quesia Dofomensa have said we want Kirk to be here. We want to build a franchise here with Kirk as as mm-hmm. our starting quarterback. So I, I probably wouldn't draft a quarterback in the first or second round, especially when you have all those discrepancies on defense. So agreed. I if it is best player available and there's a quarterback there but you need a cornerback or a defensive end and Kirk is extended, that's when you trade back. And you're just like, okay, well, somebody else needs this corner and we can get more value for for moving back with with that second or first overall pick in it. Well, first round pick in the NFL draft. All right. I think we were going to get to a couple of more before we bring Jordan into the podcast. I like this one from Jeremy Casperson. Do the Vikings target an offensive guard or center? If they do, will they target larger Brad Childress era <laughs> players over the recent smaller and more athletic Kubiak era linemen? Well, I think you definitely have to address interior offensive linemen, right? Whatever that looks like. But before you address that, I think you have to see how how far along is Wyatt Davis. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Davis had an interview earlier this week, and he basically said he's not letting this happen again where he doesn't play an NFL snap or play a snap for a team ever. And we, we, we knew how 
how high everyone was on Wyatt Davis's past draft. So I think you address that situation. Is he mentally, physically, emotionally ready to play? Can he get the job done and then go from there? But I think you still have to address the interior offensive line. Depth is always good in the NFL. You can never have too many offensive linemen. So um, just just based off of the McVay structure the past couple of years, their interior linemen have always been agile and ready to move. I mean, and, and being able to move. And I think when it comes to like the Brad Childress era of just like big stocky linemen, I don't, I don't think that fits with this inside zone. No, you need the athletic you need guys the athleticism. for sure. So, um, I think they 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 lean more towards that. That's the new age of football. Right I, now. Yeah, no, so, I mean, what was the? Well, that was a defensive lineman that ran a four, four. five. But <laughs> I mean, but you but you see these offensive linemen, they're quick now. You yeah. see, they're forty times. I think if you compare them, will probably be very different. These guys are they they're big. They're big, but mm-hmm. they they're agile, and that's what they look for. And and you know, the Vikings have the tackles that they want. Yeah. Ezra Cleveland is a is really Solid. coming to his own as a guard. So it's those two spots. Garrett Bradbury still proving himself mm. season after season. And then you've got that extra guard, which, like you said, could be a Wyatt Davis. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think you don't go a draft and not pick yeah. up an offensive lineman. you got to pick up a couple of one or two offensive like linemen. A, yeah. I mean, like people say you draft a quarterback every two years. You definitely draft a lineman every year. Every year. Every year. So, for sure. For sure. All right. We're going to hit Sandwich man's question. With how poorly our two-minute drill defense played last year, what will Kevin O'Connell do to change that from losing games to potentially pulling out wins? I mean... <laughs> I think kind of comes from like the yeah. mindset, the culture, that's, right? That's all it is. Because like, they, have, they talked so much last year about not playing to, to lose and playing to win. And it's just a mindset change. Yeah, and it is it is more emphasis on two-minute drill, too. I know every Thursday, every team does two-minute. You spend two periods, which is about 18 minutes, on two-minute, like stopping the two-minute drill. And, of course, I think we gave them 96 points in the last two minutes of, of the first half this yeah, year. Yeah, that which was is really, really bad. Insane. And I, I don't it's think, crazy to, to, to hear you say that again because it really is just mind-blowing that that happened. And I don't think that'll ever happen again in no, NFL I, history. No, it might be one of those stats you like look up in the record books and you're like, this is not changing. Insane. So I, I think there will be a point of emphasis on not letting teams score touchdowns or score field goals in the last two minutes. Like, granted, that's where you make your most money if you're, if you're a quarterback in those last two minutes. I saw your your you're right on the league. Can you win those close games? Can you win when, when the game's on the clutch? That's how Aaron Rodgers has gotten his name. So as a defense, we get our name from stopping the Aaron Rodgers and stopping the guys who make their money on the two-minute drill. So that's that's very important to, to do so. And I think Kevin O'Connell will, will do a lot to change that narrative of closing out games and closing out halves. Okay, we got two more minutes, Gabe. So we're on the clock with this last question. Brendan Fitzpatrick says, the likelihood the Vikings go best available at 12 or do they draft for need? He says, I know they need a lot, but if a top receiver drops to 12, is it out of the realm or is it the best QB or safety? Well, I'm just going to go back to last year's draft because – we were what 14th overall, and then we traded back because um, the the lineman that a lot of people say we wanted wasn't there. He got drafted earlier, who ended up being a Pro Bowler uh, for the L.A. Chargers. <laughs> Rub it on in, huh? Yeah. So we drafted back, and then when we drafted back, we saw Mac Jones get selected at 15. So I'm sure he was next on the board, but we didn't need him. So it was like another team needs him. We need to address what we need to address before make an impulse decision and draft a quarterback that we don't need. And I think that's probably going to be the same thing this year. If, if a wide receiver is there or 
a, a running back. Like, well, why why draft a, a running back who's the best player available when you need someone that's still on the board that you yeah. can get more value, value get more from, picks yeah. from, mm-hmm. and maybe get a, another first round pick if you if you do so. So, I, I think the Vikings will go needs over best player available when it comes to that twelfth overall pick, but. We'll we'll see what what they're thinking, but I I mean a QB I, I would yeah I mean I well the Vikings no. they haven't had a top fifteen pick since two thousand fifteen yeah. so and there's a lot of value at this twelfth pick in this particular draft I wouldn't be surprised if they make some moves but I think the most interesting thing this offseason is that it'll be hard to predict yeah. what Quasey will do because we don't have 16 years of, <laughs> you know, of the research of the numbers that, yeah. you know, you see what Rick Spielman did and you, you kind of understand his mindset yeah. or his strategy, but this is a wild card. We're yeah. not going to really know what we're going to get. So it should be a really fun time. We're, we're, like you said, we don't, we don't know. They haven't made any moves just yet. Um, and it's just, like you said, it's a wild card. So it's like, okay, well, will they do this? Will they do that? Have they done this? Have they done that? Kevin O'Connell has been on two teams that have been all in. And then Quincy Adolfo Mensa has been on teams that's built through the draft. So how does that mesh? Where do you go in the future? And what does the future outlook for the Vikings look like? I mean, we're, we're less than, we're a month and a half away yeah. of seeing what it looks like. I mean, if you talk free agency, we're a week away. So we'll, we'll, we'll start to get some answers here soon. That's right. And we're going to get some answers on this new Vikings coaching staff from our next podcast guest. She is Jordan Rodri. We'll bring her in now. Vikings fans, let's welcome in award-winning journalist, Rams beat writer for The Athletic, Jordan Rodriguez. Jordan, first of all, Gabe and I talked about this in the beginning of the podcast, but you've been covering the Rams for a couple of seasons. How was it, though, covering this team this year where they ended it all with the Super Bowl championship? Oh, it's why you do it, right? Like it was, it was such a remarkable season and, you know, so chaotic also, but that was kind of, that sort of became the calling card of this Rams team was that in whatever chaos was happening, whether it was self-inflicted or whether it was incidental or environmental, they sort of thrived in that. And, and it almost like made them stronger and more prepared for sort of the enormous possibility of whatever could happen as they made their playoff run. And in that sense, you you know, you never had a a quiet day, but you don't realize that when you're in it, you realize perhaps after, and you're ready to sleep for 17 years, but (laughs) then after, you know, you don't realize while you're in it because it is just so uh, adrenaline fueled and, and so many uh, really amazing people that poured everything they had into building this and, 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 um, you know, executing the plan and, and getting through some of the adversity they went through and to get to capture it on a daily basis and to get to see what it looks like, um, you know, seeing what it looks like before they were quite there and then seeing everything that went into pushing forward and breaking through that final level. Um, it, it's just as a journalist, as a writer, as a storyteller, it's just it's why it's why you do it. You, you hope for opportunities like this. Did you have a moment because I know we, we have to keep it professional, make sure the story's out there, make sure, you know, the audience or the people who weren't there were, were kind of able to experience it from our perspective. So I know there's a there's a picture of you online hoisting the Lombardi <laughs> trophy, but did you have a few seconds to like actually live in the moment? So I was going to say that would probably be what I should say, right, <laughs> is when I got I actually was handed the Lombardi trophy um, at the Rams after party after they won the Super Bowl. And uh, one day I will tell that story. It's phenomenal. But at the moment, in the moment, I'm 
freaking out because I've just been handed this precious cargo, essentially, and it I just froze. So I didn't even have a chance to process it in the moment. But I think what when it really hit me was actually something so much quieter and smaller. I was actually speaking to a journalism class last week. And, and as you guys know, it, it's such a whirlwind. You you go to the Super Bowl and then a week and a half, you know, you cover the parade, week and a half later, you're at the combine, um, free agency is starting. There's no, there's no time off, right? But I was speaking to a journalism class uh, over this past weekend and I was wearing the same blazer that I wore to cover the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I reached in my pocket because I was a little nervous. I was speaking in front of people trying to mold young minds, which is always scary. <laughs> yeah. And um, I reached into one of my pockets uh, sort of in, in nervousness, and I had confetti in my pocket. Oh, wow. And I pulled my hand out of my pocket, and I looked at it, and I was like, all right, you guys are just going to have to bear with me here because I'm about to start bawling just because of the impact and the, the power. You know, covering a team as a beat writer, you're not a fan of the team, but you do become invested in people's journeys. And looking at that confetti, you just, it all just comes crashing down, right? In such a simple moment, probably the worst timing also, um, <laughs> but such a simple moment to have the full impact and the weight of what it was. It leaked out my eyes a little bit, I got to say. <laughs> it, it honestly sounds like it was staged, the way you're describing yeah, right. it. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, who put that there? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of people's journeys, you've had a front row seat to this Rams offense last two seasons under offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Now new Vikings head coach. There's a couple of other guys joining him here in Minnesota. New offensive coordinator Wes Phillips, also from the Rams. What can Vikings expect from these two guys? Yeah, so I'll start I'll start with Kevin. Um, so because Kevin and I sort of joined sort of came into our experiences with the Rams around the same time. And when you come to a place like that from, from a different place or, or um, from, you know, bringing in all of your learned experiences with you, the culture and the environment is really what the, the, the first thing that sticks out. People who are in, in Los Angeles sort of say it, it wraps around you. It's almost a sentient thing that, that enfolds you, engulfs you, and you become a part of it. And it was so clear immediately with Kevin how much that mattered to him to understand what it was, but, but also how it worked. And I think that's a theme that's going to emerge as you all cover Kevin um, over the next couple of years and even weeks and months. Um, it is that that's something that's so important to him is the why and not just understanding it, but understanding it to where he can also teach and explain it. There's been a lot of talk as there should be about his personality and about how he's very positive and very calming presence, which, which certainly mattered um, for the Rams as they went through such massive changes for their, in their offense and at quarterback over the last couple of years um, and, and all of that, all of what is brought with that. Um, but I think the common, most common theme that I just could, kept seeing from him is, how do I know this at its core? How do I understand why this is happening or, or what other people's why is as they experience it? How do I wrap that all together and, and then communicate that effectively and teach that? And, and it's almost an obsessiveness. And, and you hear a lot about Sean McVay about um, how obsessive he is with football and in a positive framing, obviously. Um, but Kevin, I think, is that way, too, except I think he's he's obsessed with understanding. And um, I know that sounds like a line. I know I get it. Like, <laughs> no, I, it. wow. It, it no, honestly it, sounds really... like. Yeah, no, no, no. It honestly <laughs> it, sounds like something yeah. <laughs> that attracted him to the new GM here as well, Jordan. Yes. 
and that's what I was going to say is, um, you know, I, I, I got to sort of um, be around Quasi a little bit at a couple of some of these coaching incubators that happen um, over the course of these off seasons. And immediately when I learned that Kevin was a candidate for this job, um, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, they're going to get in a room together and they're going to have a conversation. And they're basically just going to geek out over the same stuff, <laughs> yeah. but, but with probably different approaches and, and wanting to know from each other what the other person knows, because that's how, that's how Kevin operates. And I think that became so important in the quarterback's room, not just with Jared, but also especially with Matthew Stafford, wanting to know what Matthew Stafford knew, but also how can you package this into something that's also a combination of what I know, and then we get into the why we're doing it and explain it to the rest of, of the offense and, and, you know, collaborate in that regard, and then roll the process forward that way. Um, and, and, like, somehow I'm in, a, like, a remarkably good mood the entire time, which is insane to me. I still don't understand <laughs> how, how sure. he's always happy. Um, and then and then Wes, Wes is very similar in that way. Wes, uh, Wes Phillips, he's, he's very teaching-oriented. I think that's especially when a new coach – goes into a new environment and has to start building a foundation, a culture, and a core, um, teachers are so important. And a lot of times people pull from the Sean McVay tree or the Kyle Shanahan tree, um, and, and you think, oh, they want the system, they want the offense, they want the, the structure, they want the playbook. But what we're watching now, and you really saw this uh, with Brandon Staley, you see this with Raheem Morris especially, um, you see this you know, with, with a lot of people who are in this system, is now people understand you're pulling teachers. That's that's more important even than just having a certain offense or a set of rules that uh, structure your offense and and sort of that that you live by. It's how you teach it and how you let it become more of whatever it needs to be. And I think Wes is really malleable in terms of um, wanting to let that happen and understand that and, and also teach it as it goes. And, and it, the work that he did with the Rams tight ends and, and like their fourth string tight end who's catching crucial third down passes in the Super Bowl after coming off the bench for the last two years. Um, those are proof it, it, right there in, in front of everyone on the highest stage of how much, how important it was for Wes to teach all of the little things consistently every single day as it pertained to the evolution of this offense, um, everybody equally, um, and then continuing to let that unfold and evolve um, as they went. And I think the two are a match for that reason. Yeah, I, I, I did all that point with you. Um, I had the, the opportunity when I was working in Washington to be around both Wes, Kevin, and Chris O'Hara, who um, is, is the new quarterback's coach here. And I just – that was like the big thing that, that stands out to me is how well those guys teach. And no matter how old these guys get or how much money these players get – you still need teachers to be able to put them in the right position to be able to make a play. You have to get those guys to buy in. So now that Kevin is a, a new head coach and we know what Kevin was to Sean McVay, their relationship and pretty much Kevin shrunk the playbook down for um, Sean McVay to be able to call the offensive play. What does Wes Phillips role consist of? Like how does that uh, evolve over time here in Minnesota when, when looking at what Kevin O'Connell did for Sean McVay in, in LA? Yeah, I almost see um, a, sort of a similar, almost an inversion of, of roles in a way. Like, I still think that Wes will do a lot of the design work that Kevin did so much of with Sean. Um, you know, not just, you know, just because you're not necessarily calling every play, as you guys know, you know, obviously, it doesn't mean you're not so heavily involved in things. And, and for Wes, I think it's similar in that I think he'll be heavily involved in the structure of the passing game, 
Um, and, and again, this offense is so layered and everything sets up everything else out of very simple pre-snap looks and even sometimes the tops of post-snap looks before the play develops just to make the defense think about more things. Designing what the structure looks like, not just when, you know, before the ball is snapped, but also as things continue to layer out as the play manifests itself. Those are all going to be so, so important. It's what Kevin did. It's going to be what, what Wes does. And it's, it's how you essentially turn, you know, plus one plays to plus three, plus four plays. And getting from plus one to plus three, plus four is obviously the key to building an explosive passing attack and an explosive offense. But I also think some of the inversion is possible where with, with Kevin, one of his traits that, that uh, Sean looked for was someone who can really identify with and communicate with the quarterback. Mm. Well, Wes is going to be able to do that probably with the receivers and tight ends. But at the same time, Wes's experience in a uh, structure, a coaching structure, probably that Kevin will run slightly similarly, is that he can take on sort of um, that, that leadership role at times if Kevin does want to continue to work more closely with the quarterbacks. And I think that that's really important because, as we know, that's going to be the most important um, you know, conversation moving forward uh, for pretty much any team, but especially as they, this new regime sort of settles in is how do you either build around the quarterback? How do you continue to evolve the offense? How do you um, communicate with the quarterback at any phase of a quarterback's career? And that's so important to Kevin and something that I don't think he will just completely let go of for the sake of being a CEO. And when you want to do something specific, in Sean's case, it's um, working and investing in some of that play design. Um, And in Kevin's case, it could be working and investing a little bit more time in that quarterback's room you have to be able to have other people sort of pick up the, I don't want to say slack, but pick up the other space around you so that nothing is, is getting left behind. And I think that's why you bring someone like Wes in who has experience doing stuff like that. There's definitely a lot of familiarity with Kevin and his choices at coaches, a lot of, and, and really Quasi too, a lot of carryover. They've all feel like they've all somewhat met each other at other stops. Now, someone though that most recently joined the Vikings is the new team sports medicine operation. He's the executive director of player health and performance is Tyler Williams, who spent the last 15 years with the Rams as, you know, really the newest hire here in Minnesota. What can you tell us about Tyler Williams? And, and before you answer that, because that's a great question. <laughs> Like, how crazy was the Cam Akers injury? Because he was in charge of, I guess, yeah, him coming back true. from the, that Achilles tear. So, like, that, that's insane. I feel like that's a steal for us. Yeah, I told uh, Reggie Scott, who's the director of uh, sports performance, vice president of, of sports performance and medicine with the Rams, I told him after the Cam Akers story, after I wrote the Cam Akers story, the inside story of him coming back and the surgery and everything that went into it, I was like, yeah, good luck keeping Tyler a secret now. <laughs> so <laughs> true. He, he led. So first of all, for those unfamiliar, Cam Akers tore his Achilles in, last July, came back and played through the postseason for the Rams so in a way where he was playing healthily, not, not <laughs> you know, you know, you're clenching every time he gets hit, maybe at first, but then you realize, no, this guy's actually healthy. And actually they measured more explosive outputs in his injured leg than they did in his healthy leg by the end of the playoff. That's crazy. That's that's an example of of part of it, right? So that's obviously a really arduous rehab. It's an innovative surgery. Um, It it was a whole in-depth process, but planning it out in in its entirety and then also analyzing everything and studying every single output from K-12 
Cam standing in line at the grocery store or filling up his car at the gas station to him sleeping to every single movement, every literally every single muscle output through the entire thing. They built a database, a database about Cam. They built his leg in a computer, essentially, as it pertained to an already existing body of data that they had because they measured, again, every single movement when he was healthy as a rookie player. So they knew what to sort of juxtapose those new outputs against and how they could study the patterns and the trends moving forward and how he was healing. That is, first of all, insane, again. Yes. <laughs> but yes. at the same time, that's, that's, that's Tyler. Tyler is, is the, was the lead on, on building that programming. And something that the Rams keep very quiet is, is their unique sort of algorithmic programming that they have with their sports science and how they measure all of the different outputs that a player could possibly um, have um, in any in any activity, any motion, how it correlates to um, you know what they're able to do, workloads, how they rest, how they um, you know what they eat, even how um, how they travel, how they do all kinds of, of different things that you don't even really maybe think about necessarily in the course of a normal football week, and then they reverse engineer it down into these programs that tell you. Um, all sorts of things that, that maybe need to be addressed with, with players in order to help them stay healthy, help them feel good, help them be at peak performance and, and sustain peak performance. And on a personal level, like Tyler has, Tyler really developed some strong relationships um, within the Rams sports science department and their, and their um, athletic training department. And what a lot of people don't think about when they think of sports scientists and athletic trainers is how much face time they get with players every day. Reggie Scott, who directs the Rams department, is probably the guy these players see more than even their own families during the season and, and all of his staff. And so when you're a coach and you're trying to figure out who's going to lead your department, you bring in somebody who you not only think players will trust, but in the case of Kevin and, and watching Tyler for the last two years, you know players will trust because mm. they are. They're entrusting them. So, so much with not just their well-being physically, but a lot of times mental well-being and, and all of it ties together holistically. And so I think that this, first of all, the Rams, the Rams I know are, are, uh, are this, they're, they're, they will feel this loss. This is a huge loss. I know players are, are sad to lose Tyler. There's a lot of, I've reached out and talked to a lot of players over the last day or so since the news broke. Um, and, and this is, this is a big loss. Um, and it's a, and in, on the converse, it's a huge gain for a staff that's, again, establishing a culture. The culture that's developed in that training room is going to be a big part of uh, measuring sort of the success of what happens next for Kevin and his staff. All right. So th this is my last question for you. Um, I, I feel like this is very fitting because precursor, a lot of people here in Minnesota understand that. Kevin O'Connell, where the Rams last year ran the most 11 personnel in the NFL, which is basically removing a fullback from the game and replacing that with the wide receiver. You have a podcast right now called 11 Personnel with Rich Hammond that you do every <laughs> single week or every other week. And understanding that and understanding what 11 personnel is and understanding how that, I guess, is going to be translated here to Minnesota – do, do you think we will run? Do you think a fullback is is going to be in our offensive scheme next year, understanding that we have a fullback that is, I would say, top three in the NFL in C.J. Ham? Sean really came into the league, or into the head coaching job in the league, and really wanted to run a lot of 12 personnel. But the receivers he had on there, and a lot of people actually don't know that, 
Mm. And that's what he wanted to do. And a lot of the receivers he, he had on the roster and brought in a free agency. So he had, you know, they went out and they got Brandon Cooks and, and they traded for, uh, they brought in Robert Woods. And then they drafted Cooper Cup. And then as they brought them in and understood what they were capable of, they realized, well, actually, we're, a, we're an 11 personnel roster. And this is what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to make it work. So, yes, I do expect a lot of 11 personnel from any, any branch of the Shanahan-McVay tree. But I also think that it's going to be more about catering some facets of this offense to what your best players do best. And I saw something the other day, and I'd need a, a, probably a, you guys to source on it because I, I'm not, I don't remember where I saw it. But um, Kevin mentioning about how, um, you know, there are receivers on this roster who, you know, do have similar qualities in, in terms of, like, uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, you could, you could maybe he could do the things that Cooper Cup did this last season. And, and I think that what he means by that is I always joked with these guys the last two years is that, yes, Sean McVay is running 11 personnel, but if you really look at the structure of the route concepts and also the blocking concepts that Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are running that unlock like every other that. piece of this offense, they're running 11 and a half personnel. It's like <laughs> mm-hmm. a combination between 11 and 12, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there and I'm joking with these guys. I'm like, oh, you're not an 11 personnel team. You're an 11 and a half personnel team because you got these two miniature tight ends running around doing everything. And, and at, but at the same time, they, it catered, they, they evolved and catered that, those sort of simple, straightforward concepts to what those players did best. So in terms of fullback, you know, sure, you know, you think of fullback the traditionalist version, but what I would actually go so far as to say is you, you maybe can, reimagine what's possible for that type of player within an offense that will be sort of player focused and also within its simplistic concepts and its simplistic looks can um, sort of evolve and, and branch out into so many different ways, just based off of some of those foundational principles of timing and, and route structure. Well, we appreciate you so much for being here today, Jordan. You are one of the brightest football minds I've ever I've ever read. I've been following you since you were at the Panthers and so we are just pumped to have you on here. You gave so much great insight into these guys that we're just starting to get to know. Yeah. And and I, and you're a great follow because I I love how you always give disclaimers at the end. You always like I think your one of your last <laughs> tweets were like uh social media doesn't sign contracts teams do. And I was like people need to hear that. People need to hear that. <laughs> so I, I love your work. Yes, yes. It's awesome. You can follow her at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter. You can catch all of her great stories, all of the journalistic. I mean, she's an award-winning journalist, guys. You're going to want to go follow her at The Athletic. So thank you so much, Jordan, for being here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Uh, This was totally my pleasure. Thank you, guys. I'll be following along with great interest. You do a great job, um, and I'm excited to see what's next for you guys. That will do it for us here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Big thanks to the Athletics Rams beat writer Jordan Rodrigue. And hey, shout out to our own Vikings Entertainment Network's Gabe Henderson for taking on your fan questions today. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. We got to do that more often. We may just have to. So, you know what else is going to be fun, though, Gabe, this week? We've got the free agency Ooh. frenzy. It begins next week. So, stick with Vikings.com and all of your Vikings social media channels for the very latest. For now, though, thanks for listening to the Minnesota Vikings podcast, Skull.